Hey, welcome to the Michelle Mission Two Men One Podcast. Every black film ever made. My name is Len, aka the Bat Tribble. And as always, I'm joined on this lovely stream yard by my partner. Hey, what's up? This is Vincent Williams. Tonight, ladies and gentlemen, we are so thankful that you have returned. You have survived with us the <laughs> merry month of May, and you have made it to June. African American Music Appreciation Month. Yes, that mouthful of a celebration that your president, Barack Obama, put into place back during his administration. And the Michelle mission is lockstep with him as we celebrate all during the month of June, kicking off with Vincent's selection for tonight from 2004, the film Ray, featuring. Yes. Oscar-winning performance by one Jamie Foxx, as well as some stellar performances by Regina King, Kerry Washington, Harry Lennox, Bokeem Woodbine, Anjanou Ellis, Clifton Powell. Clifton Powell, as I dare say, you've never seen him before, ladies and gentlemen. In this great film, shout out to each and every one of you out there who are watching us streaming live on YouTube as well as on Facebook. I saw that we heard from our um, good friend of the show, always sitting there in the in the Facebook group, George Kimona, who actually has a a early selection that he wants to nominate for next year's Mother May I. Oh, and what might that be, George? He is nominating Snakes on a Plane (laughs) for next year's Mother May I. I'm with it. I'm with it. I'm with that, too, even though, you know, we recently went through, um, like, we were going through all of the past Mother May I months, uh, movies that we selected, and... One, the probably the one that probably is not quite like the others from the films that we did before was Passenger 57, which you selected, which yes. not a great film, but I don't know if it deserved to be, you know, relegated to necessarily the month of May. No, not at all. Not at all. In, re- in retrospect, that was a bad Mother May I choice. There you go. I would argue that Snakes on a Plane doesn't necessarily belong in Mother May I. Snakes on a Plane is pretty terrible. Yeah, but it's pretty entertaining. (laughs) I mean, yes, but as a movie built around a joke that the joke wasn't even funny anymore by the time the movie was made, I don't know. But we'll see next year. (laughs) Okay, next year. Next year, perhaps it's on the docket. We'll see. But right now, we are in... The month of June, African-American Music Appreciation Month, um, which Barack Obama, he's the one that changed it because it used to be Black Music Month. I mean, that's what I still call it. I like Black Music Month, but yes, nevertheless, I'm going to keep it keep it there. Um, it's, it's so all of our films this this month, ladies and gentlemen, are going to be uh, highlighting black music in some way, uh, way, shape or form. I would imagine that this is a month that is uh, especially important to you, Vince, or precious to you, because for a long time, you 
made part of your living highlighting the culture of black music. Right, right. It's actually just the opposite. This is just another month for me. Really? Every month is Black Music Month. I actually don't do anything different this month. <laughs> Bring out the same albums, play the same music. I got a question for you, Vince. When you come home, say you can't, say, this is, here we go. Here we go. Okay. Because you've got a full family, you know, you've, yes. got, you've, got a, you've got a house that is always busy. But say there's a Saturday, that rare Saturday where everyone is out of the house and it is just you, right? What record do you play? Is there one go-to album or artist that gets played? And I'm by myself. Yes. Probably. DMX. <laughs> probably, probably not DMX. <laughs> I am going to go classic. Like if it's going to be big, because one thing, like, because I like it quiet, but I like it not that quiet. Like I like quiet music, like or rather a quietness mm -hmm. to the music. So I'm probably going to go Miles Davis, Gil Evans. So you get the Miles with the orchestra behind them. Mm -hmm. Or Electric Miles. Bitches oh. brew and afterwards. Okay. All right. So something big, but something kind of structured in pieces. Because I do like that. I actually like the sound of the acoustics in an empty house. Interesting. All right, cool. All right. Interesting. So that's probably what what I do. Either that, um, or I just put Carl Carlson, she's a bad mama jamma on repeat. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Okay. So bitches brew or she's a bad mamma jamma. Sometimes everybody was kung fu fighting. I like everybody was kung fu fighting on repeat as well. All right. Now you've lost me, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to the tape, ladies and gentlemen. Let's go to the Facebook group. We got a couple of interesting notices in there. Um, I don't know if you are aware of this. It there's a foreign film, Toussaint Louverture, and I may be mispronouncing that, from director Philippe Nyang, a historical action pick about the man behind the slave revolt that led to Haiti's independence. Yeah, I saw, I saw someone posted that. That looks really interesting. It does. It's a, it's a French film with English subtitles. Uh, in the description, it says, at the age of eight, Toussaint Louverture is marked forever when he sees his father, an old slave, judge unproductive and thrown into the harbor. As an adult and free man, Louverture leads the slave revolt that results in the independence of Haiti. Oh, that sounds that sounds pretty interesting. It's a, a film that just opened on May 28th, this, this past weekend. Always a very interesting piece of history. So yeah. I always like to see that commemorated. Yeah, and I think that's a, a piece of history that is um, long gone, gone unchronicled. So I like to see that getting its just due. And speaking of, and I guess, you know, pieces of history, there was also a post that was listed noted in the Facebook group from the Hollywood reporter. Uh, it was a story that, that ran back in April, but I only just recently came upon it about why black biopics reign at lifetime. 
you know what? I saw that article and I didn't get a chance to read it. Did you read it? I read I read through it. Um, not all of it, but I read through a lot of it. It was um, focusing. The article came up because it was right around the time that Lifetime was premiering uh, Robin Roberts pre- Presents Mahalia, their biopic starring, uh, starring Danielle Brooks of the life story of Mahalia Jackson. And mm-hmm. the article I thought was really interesting. It points out that Mahalia is Lifetime's third biopic of 2021. All three have been focused on black women going back to January with salt and pepper and then Wendy Williams, the movie, which actually premiered a week later. And in fact, since 1993 of Lifetime's 68 biopics, 22 of them, nearly a third have been centered on the lives of black women. And that has been purposeful because while in reading directly from the the article, and I'll give the writer his due, uh, the article by Rebecca Sun of The Hollywood Reporter, it notes, while Lifetime has given the biopic treatment to plenty of universal household names like Whitney Houston, Simone Biles, and Meghan Markle, um, the biopics of this year and also including recent biopics such as The Clark Sisters... Mm-hmm is an example of a decision to commit resources to figures beloved within the black community, but not as well known outside of it. And I think that's pretty cool. I think that's pretty, pretty dope. I I myself has like noticed that lifetime. I mean, you can't help but notice that lifetime has been doing a lot of biopics, a lot of them featuring black women, a lot of them stories that probably wouldn't be told anyplace else. Um, and while you may argue up and down to what you may think about the movies, having the opportunity to tell these stories, especially one, this aspect of black history and two, let's face it, of all black history, the history that it goes the most unappreciated is that of black women having the opportunity to tell those stories and get them out there. I got to applaud them for that. I think that's pretty dope. Absolutely. I, I think you, you absolutely applaud it. But I think the other part of it, I, I mean, certainly you should always acknowledge, I, I guess, for lack of a better word, people doing good work, mm-hmm. like altruism, if you will. But then I just also have to say, and, and obviously tonight we're going to talk about this as well, in a lot of ways, it's good business. That's true. Very because true. you have these untapped stories mm-hmm. that are wonderful stories. When you think about Wendy Williams' story, and I didn't even see the Wendy Williams biopic, but just sort of knowing Wendy Williams' story, when you think about Mahalia Jackson's story, mm-hmm. you and I have talked about how hip-hop generally is untapped. Right as as a a, a, a a form with these biographies. If someone had told me that that Clark sister's story would have been as gripping as it was, well, I probably would have said, okay, that actually kind of makes sense. Because when you think about that sort of, that, 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 that sort of tension between the gospel world 
in the secular world. And then when you put women in it and then just sort of the, 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 the personal interactions of the sisters, mm-hmm. but the Clark sisters was fantastic. And I think even if you don't like music, even if you don't like gospel music, even if you don't like seventies music, if you've never heard of the Clark sisters, it was such a fantastic story and such a wonderful, we'll be talking about her tonight, Anjanue Ellis mm. just sort of broke out with this great role. So on the one hand, I do applaud Lifetime for putting these stories in the forefront right. in a way that other people haven't. But on the other hand, I, I think we should just acknowledge in many ways, it's just good business to give support to these stories right that have never ever been told right yeah and they're just sitting there waiting to be told and they're great stories can i tell you a secret when i fly i don't look out the window because of the twilight zone episode well what about what if you're your seat is not on the wing, so you wouldn't see it if you looked outside. If you're not on the wing, I'm saying when I have the window seat, okay, I close the window. Oh, okay. So, so, but regardless of whether or not your seat is close to the wing or not, you close the window. You don't look outside. I do not look outside. Okay, because of the Twilight Zone episode with William Shatner. All right. Now, let me ask you this: Suppose you're flying with Wendy then you wouldn't have the window seat. She would have the window seat because she would sit on the inside, right? I mean, it depends. You know, oftentimes if it's four of us, it'll be, you know, me and Camille or me and Adam. Okay. And then depending on on the legroom situation. Got you, got you. There are times I've had the window and I close the window. I don't look out the window, but that's because I don't, I don't do heights. So, you know, mm. it's, it's a win. You've got me in there. You don't expect me to be looking out the window. I'm fine. I'm fine. When I look out the window, I want to see the airport, specifically the tarmac with the plane on it. That's what I want to see. They remade the two segments from the Twilight Zone. It's like Terror at 35,000 feet or whatever the name, but the one with William Shatner where he saw the gremlins. And then they remade the one with, I believe, I believe, it's a good life with the little boy who wished people in the cornfield. And is that Ron Howard who plays the little boy in the episode of the twilight zone when they were kids, when he was a kid and he got angry and he would wish people in the cornfield. No, that's not Ron Howard. Who is, is the look, you know who it is? It's, the, it's, it's, it's Billy, it's Billy mummy, Billy mummy from lost in space. I was yes. just about to say that now what they should have remade was um of course my favorite episode of the twilight zone ever which you know what my favorite episode of the twilight zone ever is it's the most stereotypical favorite episode of the twilight zone but it's my favorite episode of the twilight zone to serve man of course to serve man is my favorite episode of the twilight zone interesting that is not my favorite episode of the twilight zone that's because you're that's because you're a hipster what you don't? You, what you think you know? My favorite episode of the Twilight Zone? No, because I know it's some. It's it's some obscure. It's like one of the ones with um, not Abe Vigoda. Um, what's my man's name from um, 
from 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 the um from the odd couple. Jack Klugman. It's one with Jack Klugman, where like he was playing the horn, the one where he played the horn. No, it was like Gabriel's horn. Like no. you, you, you like that one? Actually, I don't like that one. No, I don't like that one. No, that's not it. And it's not the one where Jack Klugman is a pool player, um, trying to to be the best pool player. Uh-huh. No, it's not that one. It's right, not right. that which, one either. Which one? You, which Even one? though you like, one of my what, favorite actors is in that one, with John, Jonathan Winters plays the other pool player. Right, right. Which one do you like? What one of them hipster ones that no one? Not, which one? <laughs> which no. one do you like? It's one that I, I guarantee is one that you know. It's the one. It's basically almost like a silent film, and See? it's with. Shut up! And it's. <laughs> See, I knew you was gonna go with some bullshit. I it's knew not, it. I knew you was not. You died like everyone else. I knew it. I knew. I knew you were gonna do Burgess Meredith breaking his glasses and he no, it's not. You know, like I knew you weren't gonna do that. I knew you weren't going to do um what is it? The invaded the invaders of Maple Street or like I knew you were which one? It's a silent movie. Go ahead, Lynn. What is it? Which one? It's not a silent movie. I'm just saying that's like there's barely any dialogue in it. I, uh-huh. I think there is maybe one or two words. Uh-huh. And it's with Charles Bronson and Elizabeth Montgomery. Uh-huh. And they're the last two people on earth. And they just kind of like discover one another and find a way to relate with one another and reconcile that they are going to be alone um, <laughs> on earth. And I just think it's a very, it's a very beautiful story. Yeah, I don't even know. I don't even know which one you're talking. You don't know about. what that is a classic one. Right? That is a, no one knows what you're talking about. <laughs> That's not true. There are a lot of people know that one. There's a lot of people know that one. Uh, I don't know the name of it, the boy, title of that you one. You know what? Snooty That's Twilight not, Zone people are the worst. That's not. What do you mean, Philly Twilight Zone? What the I hell is that? Snooty. Twilight Zone. That's people. not snooty. I like all the ones you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. It's not like I don't like them. I knew you I like some hipster episode that, that nobody hipster. ever talks about. Like you don't like. There the you go. The Aaron Fry ball. knows it. It's called Two. That's what the episode is called. Two. It's a great episode. I didn't it, say it ep- wasn't great. I said no one is ever going to pick that. Oh, I like Two. That's not Charles true, Bronson. Vince. That, that's not true. Every time there is a Twilight Zone marathon, that Which one, one is. They, they play it during the during. It's not like at the beginning. So no, I know what you're trying to say. They play it's it at not, like two in the morning. No, that's not true. No, it's not. No, like it's they not. They don't have the commercials like they do to serve man, where they're like, in one hour we'll be playing to serve man. First of all, first of all, to be honest, Vince, hipsters don't really know about the original Twilight Zone. So they, the hipsters only really know the ones that everybody else know like to serve man. So if anything, yours is really the hipster choice. No, you just said everyone knows about it. Everyone knows to serve man. Everyone knows... No, but, I don't want no, to spoil no, no. It. But hipsters, <laughs> hipsters don't know about the Twilight Zone. Hipsters, of hipsters, they. Do. they Everyone, hey, no, is bigger than the serve man is actually bigger than the Twilight Zone. No, you know what hipsters know? The hipsters know that there is a famous episode called I don't know what it is, but it gets referenced on The Simpsons a lot. Right. That's what hipsters know. That's what they I mean don't know the episode. Bigger than the Twilight Zone. Everyone knows to serve man is a cookbook. They don't know the episode. Hipsters don't know the episode. 
But real Twilight Zone fans know too. Right, you, Charles Bronson you, you and Elizabeth Montgomery. Right, right. You don't sound like a douchebag hipster at all. <laughs> you know, I actually like the hour episodes of the Twilight Zone better than the half hour because they're more like small movies. Well, wait a minute. One Was of it the an hour, hour episode. It was no, an hour no, episode. Wasn't no, it, it wasn't. It's was a half hour episode. However. One of the episodes, which I do believe was an hour episode, but I could be wrong. One of the episodes is actually a very good episode. Again, I don't know the name. The one where the guy has, I think, like the the devil is either in the basement or in a cage. You know which one I'm talking about? I don't because I probably I don't really mess with the devil like that. Oh. <laughs> it's 1950s devil man it's like joseph cotton with like you know with a mustache it's not the devil you know that one with the doll oh no i don't know and, and you better no. be nice to me and the last no. one she says you better be nice to me no. it depends on what time of the day that one comes on i don't mess with that one either no i'm not even listening no i don't even hear you i, I don't, I don't f- with dolls man i don't f- with dolls i forced myself to watch um from the 70s like a couple of months ago magic with oh anthony hopkins magic <laughs> man because because I, I had to deal with it i had to deal with it it was, no, it was a kid, as a kid it scared me and i needed to deal with it to reconcile that this movie was not scary and it's I not i don't mess with magic right now <laughs> i almost didn't mess with night gallery because oh, of the I credits don't mess with i don't i don't mess with night gallery no no i know it's not good but i don't mess with night yeah. gallery uh-uh. Mm-hmm. Mm-mm, that music and them paintings. And the paintings. No. It had the yeah. paintings. Nah. Mm-mm. And Rod Serling's hair was a little longer. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be a fun night tonight. Uh, hey, hey, we going to look. We going to make it do what it do, baby. I can't pass up a good segue. So let's get into our review of 2004's Ray. We'll be back with the film review soon as we do something funky and have steps in it. Uh-huh. Ray, I ain't gonna beat around the bush with you. You going blind. The doctor saying nothing they can do, so we gotta do it ourselves. Remember how many stairs there were? Four. Good. Now, what we're going to do, I'm going to teach you three notes. And this is the first note right here. Play that. How y'all doing tonight? (laughs) Ray Charles saw the world in ways no one could imagine. I hear like you see, like that hummingbird outside the window, for instance. I can't hear her. You hear that? A heart just give to be. <laughs> he broke barriers no one thought possible. If you want me to do something special, I'm going to need my own band. Okay. But you're going to have to make it work, Ray. Yeah, well, I'm going to make it do what it do, baby. <laughs> yeah. He played what no one else dared. Nobody's ever combined R&B and gospel before. You're turning God's music into sex. Oh, y'all going straight to hell. If all of y'all want me to keep playing, let me hear you say amen. You know I had my eye on you all night long. <laughs> he feels a risk because he figures that's the way to tell she's good looking or not. 
feeling, Ray? Groovy, baby. You give your hand to me. Are those drugs worth losing everything? And I can honestly... Ray, this isn't some judge in Indiana. Our lawyers will do what they can, but... When I walk out that door, I walk out alone in the dark. I'm trying to do something that nobody ever done in music and business. The innovator of soul, Ray Charles. We're giving you a state-of-the-art deal here. This is time for do some of my own records. I was wondering if I could uh, own my masters, too. Ray, we've never done that before. That's a better deal than Sinatra gets. Yeah. Jamie Foxx. Ray. A Taylor Hackford film. Ray. 2004 American biographical film focusing on the 30 years in the life of rhythm and blues musician, musician, excuse me, Ray Charles. The independently produced film was co-produced and directed by Taylor Hackford, written by James L. White from a story by uh, White and Hackford, and stars Jamie Foxx in the title role, along with Kerry Washington, Clifton Powell, Harry Lennox, Terrence Howard, Lorenz Tate, Richard Schiff, Regina King, Anjane Ellis. Whew! Man, oh man, oh man, alive. This film, as we mentioned, garnered for Jamie Foxx the Academy Award for Best Actor. And it is Vincent's selection for tonight's stop on the Michaud Mission. Vincent, what say you of Ray? I joked a little bit last week that I wanted to have a, a really spectacular piece of filmmaking, like a really almost prestige example of filmmaking to, to, to clear my palate, if you will, after Mother May I. And this, this is really what we have come to call blue chip filmmaking. It, it really, really is. Um, the performances really run the range from extraordinary to surprisingly good and mm. not surprisingly good because these aren't actors that you don't think are capable of good work, but surprisingly good because these are actors who oftentimes haven't been given the opportunity to do, do good work. Mm -hmm. Harry Lennox is a favorite of ours. Harry Lennox is not in this film for that long, but I have to say I was really impressed by the subtlety of how Harry Lennox plays a character who you don't really like that much, but you understand as, as the announcer, Joe Adams, who then ends up being Ray Charles's manager. Mm -hmm. And you understand how he gets his position, but at the same time, you understand how there is conflict, if you will, between him and, and Ray Charles's other manager, Jeff Brown, played by Clifton Powell. Right. Who, who puts in a surprisingly good performance. Again, as I said, not because he's not a good actor, but because Clifton Powell has never really got, the, never really gets the opportunity to act. 
to act out. outside the type. He's gotten kind act of like typecast. Exactly. Bokeem Woodbine does great work as uh, one of my father's favorite musicians, David Fathead Newman. Really? Cool. Yeah, the saxophone player and close friend of Ray Charles uh, throughout his life. But in a lot of ways, this film is a showcase for actresses, starting with uh, Sharon Warren, who plays who plays um, Ray Charles's mother. And I remember when it came out, everyone was talking about Sharon Warren. And unfortunately, she hasn't been as visible right. since Ray as I thought she should have been. And she is spectacular. She is spectacular as Ray Charles is mother. Anjanue Ellis, who we just mentioned before the break, who I frankly forgot was in this. Mm-hmm. And she's very, very good. She's very, very good as Marianne Fisher, a, a singer who uh, performs with Ray Charles. And then you have these two actresses who really kind of form the poles that the narrative orbits around. You have Kerry Washington as his wife, Della B. Robinson. And she, I think she turns in a performance that is more subtle than you think. Mm. There aren't as many fireworks in her performance, but she does very well in the scenes with Jamie Foxx as Della Ray. And you really do get this rising sense of frustration and anger in her role as Ray Charles's wife. And then you have Regina King, who damn near steals the movie. Yeah. Damn near steals the movie as um, sort of the, 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 the leader of the Rayettes, if you will, Margie Hendricks, mm-hmm. who has this very fiery, tumultuous relationship with Ray Charles. Part of the reason it is so fiery and tumultuous is, as I just mentioned, Ray Charles is married. And at the center of these great performances, you have Jamie Foxx as Ray Charles. And this is an extraordinary performance for a lot of different reasons. First, I think it's a challenging role. This this very layered, this, this very complicated musical genius that you have to play. Second, you are playing a figure that by the time this film came out is actually iconic. Like there are layers upon layers of Ray Charles being an icon. This film only goes to technically 77. Like there's a, there's a, a, a coda from 1979, but really it only goes to about 77. By 2004, there are generations of people who know Ray Charles. Yeah, yeah. And you have to depict this man, again, this, this, this legend that generations of people know. Third, because of Ray Charles's blindness, because of Ray Charles's cadence, I think it would be very easy to slip into caricature and sort of mimicry, kind of doing a Ray Charles bit, if you will, And I think Jamie Foxx does an extraordinary job of inhabiting this role and making it a person. 
you recognize that it's Ray Charles, but it's not Jamie Foxx putting on, if you will. And all of these powerhouse performances are sort of moved around by the great direction of Taylor Hackford, who has done good work. You, you know, I, I, you know, I, would, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I run kind of hot and cold with his, like I looked at his filmography. Right. And I run kind of hot and tepid, if you will. Like, I don't really hate anything he made, but he's had a lot of work that I was just like, kind of, huh? But he made An Officer and a Gentleman, which is a fantastic film, which is not really saying any much. But I think it's also noteworthy that he made this really great music uh, documentary about Chuck Berry. Oh, really? Yeah, and you see it because I think he does a great job capturing this musical energy and these performances. There's a there, there there's a scene in this film where where they perform what I say and and the legend goes that Ray Charles came up with it on the spot if you will. Mhm. And and it's my favorite scene in the film. Just that energy between the band and the singers and Ray Charles and at this at this point of the film this is a very well seasoned collective of right. performers. Right. And it's this wonderful showcase of their talent that Taylor Hackford captures. So this is a fine film. This is real blue chip filmmaking. This is a great film. If you just want to know that, that's what you want to know. I have to say that part of the luxury if you will of of our doing the this podcast is once i get past that i'm more interested in in the structure and the challenges of the film and this is a really interesting interestingly structured film to me it's a musical biopic which we all know the beats we all know the beats of the, the of the musical biopic. It's it's a you, you have the beginning and and where the the singer comes from. You have the rise to fame. Right. There's usually some type of complication. Mm-hmm. Or fan breaks up. There's some drugs. Someone steals some money. They fall. And mm-hmm. then there's the great return, if you will. The you, you know the 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 great um. Return to glory. Right. They return to glory and then it goes off and there's a, you you, you know, there's a freeze frame and then they have the little, they they have the little black screen with the text that tells you what happened to them. What really interests me about this film structurally is that Ray Charles doesn't really have those familiar beats with his career. Hmm. He definitely struggles with drug addiction. And I think they address that to a certain extent in this film, but there's never a moment. And they actually reference it when, when, when um, Jerry Wexler and, and they, they try to basically have an intervention, right? His drug addiction never really affected his career. He didn't miss any dates. He kept making hits. He kept putting out records. Were there complications? Absolutely. But even within the film, there's never really a moment where Ray Charles 
career goes off the rails. You know, he's he's arrested, and then the arrest is thrown out. He goes to rehab, but he just keeps going. Mm-hmm. They gloss over the issues with his womanizing to a certain extent. Because Ray Charles had, you know, almost a dozen kids with, right. uh, with you know, three or four different women. And the I film they talk about... I think it's actually women, more about seven women. Seven women. They never really talk about that in this film. He has the one child with um, Margie. Margie that they mention. But they never reference the other children. Right. He and his wife, Della, have tough spots in their marriage. But as far as, as the constraints of the film, she stays with him. We know biographically she they end up getting a divorce. But even in the film, when at the end where Georgia uh, rescinds their lifetime ban on him, mm-hmm. she's there. So if you don't know his actual biography, you think they're still married. Mm-hmm. Georgia, as I just mentioned, um, bans him. Because he says, I'm no longer going to play segregated, segregated venues. And then Georgia gets mad and that term. But, but it's really just a moment in the film. So what you really have is this almost character study within the constraints of this biopic form, if you will. Okay. Because again, the rock bottom that he hits is very interior. He's never broke. At one point, they talk about a manager st- is, is stealing some money from him, but it seems like that's more of a, 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 a break of his trust than, oh my goodness, I don't have any money anymore. So that, to circle back to what I started with, you really just have this uninterrupted highlight of these great performances from the beginning to the end. Now, This film is two hours and... 23 minutes. 23 minutes. And you know we are relentless with what I'm about to say. You you go over two hours, there are not many films that we at the Michelle Mission think justify being over two hours. Right. And I think that there is a two-hour cut of this film Mm -hmm. that is just fine. This is a film that I suspect if it were up to me, I would have put out the two hour cut. And then at some point in the future, a DVD, you know, you have the special extended version and director's cut or the director's cut, if you will. And much like, you know, my beloved Blade Runner or, or, or Lord of the Rings or, you know, something, you know, something like Anchorman, if you will, like when I watched it, I would watch the extended version. Right. So that right. that's the only version I would ever watch. Can you argue that this film could have been cut down to two hours? Absolutely. I don't know how much of what would have been cut I would refer to as fat, though. Because, again, I think from scene to scene to scene, you have these wonderful performances Everyone I just named, I haven't even mentioned Wendell Pierce is in here for a minute. Yeah, yeah. Bird is in here for a minute. 
Terrence Howard is in here for a minute. Mm -hmm. This film is really just chock full of these performances. And ultimately, it is, it, is a, it, it is a film that I think, once again, transcends the form and is just a wonderful showcase. I agree with a lot of what you said about, the, about this movie. There's a lot of captivating performances in this film. Of course, Jamie Foxx and Regina King are the standouts in this, in this film. You had made mention that this may be Regina King's possibly her best performance. Um, I don't know. I've got to see everything that Regina King has done. But he, he, it, this certainly is, is a contender because she she kills it. I will say that this is probably the best performance I've seen of Carrie Washington. I'll say that right right off right off the bat. So this film is a lot of gr- great performances. I also want to shout out you talked about Jerry Wexler and the other manager for Ray Charles when he started with Atlantic Records, Ahmad uh Erdkin played mm-hmm. by Curtis Armstrong and Jerry Wexler played by Richard Schiff of the West Wing fame. I thought they gave great performances in this as well. Also, speaking of them, I thought that this was interesting for a film that is talking talking about a music artist who comes to fame in the 50s and 60s through the South. I thought it was very interesting that in this film, there is no demonizing of white people. I mean, there's definitely references to the Jim Crowness of the South, but the guys at, at Atlantic, they're shown as well-meaning individuals for their taking on of Ray as a talent, as an artist at their label. Even early on in the beginning, when Ray Charles goes and gets himself a job with a country band right at right at the top, while he's met with a little bit of resistance, there's a quick cut to where Ray talks about how he has to be paid in singles. And there's a quick flashback to why he has to be paid in singles when some white guy tries to get over on him and there's a another white guy another bandmate of ray charles who basically is standing up for him it's like yo you want to count that right you know i thought that that was an interesting turn we shouted out a lot of the actors i also want to shout out another one denise dows who plays marlene who is the first club owner who <laughs> basically <laughs> takes on Terrence Howard and and Ray Charles and one other guy the the Mixon trio um but takes Ray as her personal love toy and there's one moment where Ray Charles is in the other room apparently exhausted and Darlene looks from the other room at Ray and says Ray now come on back Ray and she says I quote Mama's got some more blackberry cobbler for you. Oh, 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 man, that may be one of the sexiest lines I've ever heard. I was like, yo, I am with this. I am told, I'm so with this. Um, 
So I want I want to give her give her some props. I also want to give some props to um just the specificity of the the setting of the time because this is a period piece. It's mostly set in the fifties and the sixties, a little bit of the seventies, but it cuts back to Ray Charles as a child. And you see Ray Charles being growing up in Georgia with his mother, Aretha played, like you said, by, by Sharon Warren. And I liked that there's a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of a wash on the film when we cut back so that, those scenes are decidedly you can tell that they are in flashback i still th- but i thought that they were beautifully shot i thought i i felt that while you definitely are in just this rural section of georgia you still feel the time period in which they are in i also felt that once he does lose his brother i thought it was a nice little touch that at his brother's funeral it is very low key. It is um, in in tune with the station of everyone there, down to the pine box casket, as well as just wildflowers that adorn the casket, as opposed mm. to some great casket spray. I thought that I mean that really just stood out to me as like a very a very nice and specific touch of playing right in point, and then. You know, speaking of Sharon Warren and her her performance at that scene, and through you know, never mind throughout the the film, it's just great, uh, and how she resonates through Ray Charles's life as his as his mother throughout the film. I thought was just really really well done. Ray always. Um, dealing with the demons of his of the drugs but then they're also having you know the reason for his dependency on this drugs was because like he said i'm going i go out here and i'm 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 always in the dark i'm always always alone to a sort Mm -hmm. and he also is reconciling that one of the last things he saw was the death of his brother who drowned in a scolding hot tub you know and that's why he's always has this these images of water all over the place i thought that was just um very very well done there's this just a lot to like in this film i do think that the film in the beginning it crackles it pops there's a lot of energy there is a lot of you know very um decorative cuts where like an album comes swooping in and now you're in the center of the album and that that dissolves into another scene and there's uh scenes that dissolve from you know a look in ray's eye and that energy i think does get lost a little bit towards the middle of the film as we stay in one time period more more or less in the 60s i think it kind of like slows down a little bit to present more of the story while that was noticeable to me the performances were so locked in i was like all right well okay i'm going i'm going to just sit here and and eat up these performances so i'm so i'm with that i'm i'm cool um you talked about that scene with um regina king i want to shout out this this scene with um marianne ajene ellis where she sings her her big song, mm-hmm. you know, uh, which is basically her singing her solo, but also 
exiting the film. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was fantastic. I thought that was just a fantastic scene. Well edited, well cut. I love that the last thing you you hear is basically, you know, the 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 announcer saying, ladies and gentlemen, Marianne. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, it's, and, and she just leaves and, and right. dips and off into the cab. Through his uh windshield. Yeah. I thought that was I just thought that was so cool. That was just like a really dope scene man i I really loved loved it there is a lot to like about this film could you nitpick on it yes like any biopic there is a sausaging of some stories you know we talked about ray charles was a huge womanizer right i mean let's 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 put it out there as big of the demons as drugs you know, or heroin was in his life. His womanizing was his, was probably as equally a demon. You know, uh, we said he he had twelve children with seven different women. That definitely gets sausage pretty much into the roles of Marianne and Margie. Margie, you know, makes the joke to Ray about like, oh, so we're going to be the Ray Let's. Does that mean that we got to let Ray? Yeah. That's a joke that was common amongst the Ray Let's throughout the lifetime of the yeah. Ray Let's. Oh, so, yeah. you know, um, th- that's their way of getting that in there. Did Ray Charles have a problem with a demon with drugs that he had to get off of? Sure, he did. Um, and he did go to rehab for it, but he also showed that he was a little bit of a weed head too. He never gave that up, you know, and, and, and now you might That's say, from the earth. right. Well, you might say it's from the earth. You might also say he was blind and Hey, that's what they say. Hey. You know? So, Hey, he knew, he knew what we only just learned. Else. Exactly. He, we just, we just catching up with, with Ray. Right. So, but, so he never gave that up. You know, you talked about Della, uh, Kerry Washington's character, being there at the end. In real life, she wasn't there at the end. Um, in real life, they had been they had divorced by then. In real life, when you you learn about it, Ray Charles wasn't banned from from Georgia, and therefore there actually never was a proclamation to right or wrong. That was all pretty much just made up for the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was just a way of kind of, it, it, I think that may be just the one little, to me, massage too far in the legend of Ray Charles, of making mm-hmm. him a little bit more more responsive to the civil rights movement than he may have actually been at the time. You know? Right. Uh, right. And I could argue, and eh, it's a little icky, but... On, on its substance, they get certain things right. Did he kind of, did he, did he uh, turn down an invitation to perform at a segregated uh, venue? Yes, he did. Um, was it because of some protest that was happening in front of it? No, it wasn't. Um, did he no longer perform at segregated venues? Nah, he still went back there more a few times. So... You know, you could you could nitpick about that, um, but I'm not going to nitpick too hard because the movie is still dope. There is still Jamie Foxx who 
you forget is Jamie Foxx. That is the mm. best type of performance. Like you said, it's not mimicry. It is the best type of performance. Just like Denzel Washington makes you totally forget that he does not look or sound anything like Malcolm X, but he is Malcolm X in X. Jamie Foxx makes you, well, he kind of looks like Ray Charles, but you totally think you're looking at young Ray Charles. Like, you yeah. think you're looking at a documentary of Ray Charles. So much so that when he sings, I didn't really even realize it until this viewing of it. I knew that Ray Charles actually sings in certain spots, but I didn't know that Ray Charles is actually sings almost every single mm-hmm. song in here. I thought, right. you know, uh, Jamie was at least singing on a couple of them. No, he's yeah. not. It's all it's all just Ray. And it gets over because he does sound like Ray. He does have that affect to him and everything like that. So I I champion at this movie a lot. Like you said, is there some could it be trimmed down? Yeah. Hard pressed to say where to cut cut down on it. Maybe you don't need to have Marianne. Maybe you could have just jumped straight to Margie. But um, you're trying to be true to a little bit of the history of the thing, uh, so I'm not going to knock. I'm not going to knock that. Uh, Harry Lennox comes in, man. Well, first of all, this movie ain't kind of light light skin brothers, because from <laughs> Terrence Howard to Harry Lennox and light skin brothers, they always trying to get over on you, even though. But what? How's Harry but, Lennox but, trying but to get over? But I was just though? about to say. You don't know whether Harry Lennox is trying to get over on him. He seems to be just where Ray Charles has gotten to this point. Because like Ray Charles points out to his buddy Jeff, played by Clifton Powell, two things. One, it was, you know, the breaking of the trust. You find that Clifton Powell maybe, maybe didn't was stealing from Ray. Clifton Powell says he he wasn't. They say that this paperwork that shows differently. Who knows? I want to believe Clifton Powell because Clifton Powell has been so ride or die throughout this entire film. And you've not shown him. Like, usually if somebody's getting over on, on, on someone, the movie gives you some type of hint into it. Even if it's just a quick cut of a look. There's none of that in this film, right? So I want to believe Clifton Powell. However, Ray Charles also recognizes that just as my career has risen and my station has risen and I've got to handle my business a little bit differently, well, then so too should the board as I'm calling my manager, right? Yeah. Like the only reason why Harry Lennox is able to come in and there and get in between Ray and Jeff it's because Jeff ain't handling this business like that. He basically took that position as road manager and just just rolled with that, even though he was easily Ray Charles' closest confidant and could have been that much more. He could have risen his stature and his place in society, period, if he had taken that opportunity. That is what fascinates me about this narrative, because you see these stories mm-hmm. and at the juncture where you leave your crew, like this is my squad that I came up with. Right. And now I'm t- going to take it to the next level. Mm-hmm. And this is the moment where, you know, dude shows up 
um, Billy D. Williams shows up and says, you know, fame means nothing if you have nobody to share it with. <laughs> right. And that's the part of the movie where the protagonist loses their way. Mm-hmm. And then has to kind of circle back around, if you will. Mm-hmm. The thing about Ray Charles, and it's one part, as you said, they massage some of the story, some of the actual story of Ray Charles. But then it's Ray Charles himself. You had this wonderful fusion of talent, just this pure talent, mm-hmm. where he, you, you know, I, I want to do something different when I leave Atlantic. And then you, you bring in the choirs and the orchestra and you talk about him doing um, country Western, which he had a whole kind of sphere in his career yes, with he country did. Western music. But then this dude is talking about owning his masters in 1960. Yeah. So that his business was always tight. Mm-hmm. So that there's never a natural juncture in the narrative where Ray kind of basically has a comeuppance. Oh, I've made this, you know, this terrible music for five years that nobody buys, or I went out and got this other manager and he stole all my money. Ray Charles's career is like a career, like he has his career. And then by the time you get to the seventies, and now you think about when you and I were little boys mm-hmm. and you think about Ray Charles and, you know, he's singing, it's not easy being green on the Muppet show. And he's showing up at places like Ray Charles has this very successful career. And then he transitions into a legend, right? Into legendary status, right? And, right and then that. he's a legend and an icon for the last 30 years of his life. Right, right. Like, by the time you get to 1980, he don't have to make no more hits. Right. And He's th- just a legend. And that's and that's why, as much as I still I do cape for this film, and I, I, I enjoyed the movie, that's why there is a part of this film that is a little troubling to me. Because, like you say, if there is not really the career setback, and you could argue whether or not how hard of a setback he had to go through when he was basically weaning himself off of drugs right i think they massaged that a little bit um who knows there could have been a moment where that could have been got a little bit more dicey but they don't really show it right no 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 i mean if you actually look at his discography well true in the sales like he like he kept moving yeah so and 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 what I was going to say, and even if it may have gotten dicey, it don't look like it was dicey like he had any type of foreclosure notices. So he was still pretty good. So that's why there's a part of me that feels that there were two tracks that this movie could have leaned on in light of that. Showcase the career, which they do. Show the demons and the reasons for the demons, which they do in his childhood and his in, in, mm-hmm. in the death of his of his brother and how he, he was blind and his reconciling him trying to deal with that. But there's also why I think that there is a bit of a missed opportunity of not playing playing out maybe a little bit more demonstratively his womanizing. Only because I think that is, I think that is the other 
you know, for lack of a better word, comeuppance of Ray Charles's life, you know? I think the reason that isn't a part of the story that would have worked as organically, because it didn't affect his career. Mm. No, 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 that's like, that's not a debatable point. Like it didn't affect his career. Like Ray Charles, again, was legend. Like he he had a, a very, very prosperous career. He made very good decisions financially. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then he was an icon and a legend. Okay, so maybe it doesn't affect his career, but then how does it affect him? How does it affect him at home? How does it, right. how does it affect the aspect of Ray Charles that we don't know? Because yes, right. you can look up the record sales and see that they were still going. The idea of this movie is to present aspects of him that we don't know. It presents now, some, but... Now, let's be clear. You know, now, now you're kind of delving into the politics of the biopic. Well, yeah, I am. You know, Admittedly. This, this was an officially sanctioned biographical film by Ray Charles and company. Mm-hmm. Like, like you, we, we talk, we've talked about Jamie Foxx and his extraordinary performance, but part of the reason that Jamie Foxx was so good at this is because he could study Ray Charles. Like Ray Charles actually opened up his home and his, his world for Jamie Foxx to study. Like this is not an unauthorized biopic, which maybe speaks to what you're talking about. Like that, 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 you know, the, the, for, for lack of a more politic word, the seamy side, if you will. Right. Of Rachel, because I will go out on a limb and say, Many people did not know about that aspect of Ray Charles's life. No, I will. Well, certainly. Uh, just like we're seeing in the chat, you know, a lot of people are talking, especially uh, Tamisha Kirkland, who's new to listening to this, watching us on the stream. Hello, Tamisha. Says that she hey. was introduced to his music on The Cosby Show. So, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. So a lot of people yeah, were introduced yeah. to him later in life on the Cosby Show when he showed up on Sesame Street in the Muppet movie. You know, all of that. Look, I understand that. Look, there is when you talk about Ray Charles, there was last year there was this wonderful article in Esquire last July. It was an oral history of the making of We Are, we Are the World. Okay. By Ryan D'Agostino, and it's this wonderful article about how they sort of managed all of these musicians because, you know, it's like Billy Joel is there. Elton John is there. Michael Jackson is there. Bruce Springsteen is there. Diana Ross is there. Like this is a room filled with legitimate iconic artists Mm -hmm. and how they got together. So, you know, it it talks about how, because this is is the 80s. So, you know, there's no Instagram, there's no social media. A lot of these folks are kind of meeting each other for the first time in person. They talk about how they deal with the egos. They talk about like, there's, there's this wonderful detail about how they separated the aunt, everybody's entourage mm-hmm. from the musicians. And they got them in this room and everyone's all talking. And again, there's a room filled with legends and musical stars. And, then, and Dionne Warwick. And then Ray Charles walks in the room. And they say this room filled with stars. A hush falls over the crowd. Because it's Ray Charles. Yeah, yeah. And among them 
Ray Charles is the legend. Mm -hmm. Follow up to this. This is actually funny to me. So when they're making it, they're, 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 they're making Real the World, and they're making a song, and people have ideas that they want to add of course. to the song. Like, you know, Elton John has ideas, and Billy Joel has ideas. And then my favorite part, Stevie Wonder wanted to sing some of it in Swahili, <laughs> which is hilarious to me. That sounds like Stevie. But how do you tell these people we're not going to do that? And these are people who are known for having good ideas. Right. So apparently after a few minutes of this, Ray Charles pipes up and says, all right, Q, talking to Quincy Jones. He said, all right, that's about enough of this. Let's get to work. That's right. And this whole room, like school children, quiets down. Because it's Ray Charles. And I do think that there is a bit of that as well. Like, like this film is almost codifying the legend, if you will. I hear you. I hear you. You know, as it says, you know, he dies in 2004, the year it comes out. Like this is this wonderful capstone to this legend. But it it does, to, to go back to what I, what I said earlier, it is almost a conflict-free narrative. As far as this narrative is concerned, mm -hmm. A, because of his career, B, because as we said, there's a lot of it that they smooth over. The way that they smooth it over is not to say that it didn't happen. They just, like I say, sausage everything in. Like the, So they sausage whatever these different women are into the main women who were Marianne and Margie. And let's face it, they probably are the main women, along as far as the other women. And then there is Della, his wife, of 22 years. Not an insignificant amount of time. <laughs> no. I think... Like that frustration, even though I, I do agree that this is Carrie Washington's, if not her best performance, one of her best performances. Uh, I think that frustration that you say that you, she subtly shows throughout the film, I think that there could have been more moments of it. There could have been, I think there could have been mm. a little bit, I think that it would have been nice to see more moments of her. You see a lot of right. her against Ray, and even then she's, she's responding to Ray or engaging sure. Ray in something as opposed to seeing her. I would have actually wanted to see a, uh, a scene with her and Jeff as the only other real confidant in his life. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. To just to see that dynamic because you see Jeff also kind of, feeling some type of way about how Ray is living his life as well. So I would have liked to have see, seen that. I just, I just think that that is a, a opportunity that even with Ray Charles signing off on this film, I would have liked to see this film take. It doesn't negatively impact the film. It's just a missed opportunity. I I feel to make it, truly a masterpiece of a film as opposed to a collection of great performances, which I think right. overall what this film does. This is not Straight Out of Compton, which I hate it because to me, Straight Out of Compton might as well just be Lord of the Rings because that ain't nothing but fiction. But this, I think, is... Great performances, like you said, I like the way you put it, the codifying of a legend, 
uh, but a legitimate legend in Ray Charles. And it was fun to return to the film. I hadn't seen it in quite a while. So it was an enjoyable watch. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I actually like your argument that if you deepened it, you would have gotten more of Kerry Washington. Yeah. Because I do love her in, in this. And there are these wonderful moments that, as you say, are, are sort of the iceberg peeking out. Mm-hmm. And you know there's so much underneath it. Like, what, what my favorite moment of hers in the film, when when, he, when Ray Charles receives um, the news that Margie has OD'd, mm-hmm. played by Regina King, and he kind of collapses and he says to Della... I'd never introduced her to it. Like, like, like she knew I, I was, I was on heroin, obviously, but I, I never let her do it around me. And Carrie Washington says to him, direct quote, I'm sure you set a fine example. And there is ice mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in her voice when she says it. And you can tell much like you're saying, this is not just about this moment. Right. This is about a lot that the film hasn't spoken about. And that's a good, and that scene is actually a great opportunity because what the scene does is that you see Ray walk out the room and you see him collapse. But before you see him walk out the room and collapse, Carrie Washington walks out back out into the deck because they're in the midst of having a party. Right. Mm-hmm. And that is a perfect opportunity to swing that camera around to see Carrie Washington. If you only just see, because you could have done both, you could have had in one frame Carrie Washington coming out onto the deck, having to collect herself after one hearing this news. And dropping knowledge on Ray, like, oh yeah, I already know about the kid. He's, you know, he's he's such and such year year old. I'll send him some money or whatever. See her collect herself because of this is how she's had to be in his life. And see off in the background him collapsing. And that would have been a perfect illustration of their dynamic in that moment. The and giving you a little bit more of Carrie Washington, giving her a little bit more agency in this film i i just think those are moments that could have could have been done to just really like make this movie just this movie pop make the story pop you you know what i feel like we are headed towards and it's on my mind because we are going against the wishes of the franklin family and we're actually watching the aretha franklin documentary on net geo with Cynthia Cynthia Arrivo. <laughs> Love me some Cynthia Arrivo. Yes. Which is fantastic. And she's fantastic in this documentary, by the way. Susie Laurie Parks has written this and it's fantastic. Is it a you documentary? Is it, it, it I know is it it's it's a film. It's a series. Okay, right, right. Okay, it's a docu-series. Yeah. That's what it is. It's right. a docu-series, and Ray Charles, I think, could have really benefited from that expansion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think it's eight or nine episodes. They're an hour each, but it's Aretha Franklin. Right. So her career actually justifies that. Mm-hmm. We just said, Ray Charles, this only covers 20 years of his life. Right. Ray Charles had a whole existence as an icon. Like, like just as we've been talking tonight, Ray Charles, it, it, the real the world story I'm talking about, Ray Charles on the Muppet show, Ray Charles as, um, you know, his music on the Cosby show. Like 
he really is like who else has had a public life like that very few some but very, very few, few very few so you know you, you it's almost like what we're saying is we want more of this deborah battle says that she would love a little more of quincy and ray uh quincy jones played by lorenz tate in this film um that would have been cool but honestly as much as it would have been nice to see a little bit more quincy and ray i'm just waiting for the quincy jones story because because quincy quincy jones he got all the tapes he got oh yeah all the tapes and i have a funny feeling if quincy jones is able to put out his film now while he's still alive quincy jones ain't massaging anything (laughs) yeah but 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 i think that's a perfect example ray charles and quincy jones's relationship is referenced Mm -hmm. but never really no it's not truly explored explored so so even though to be fair it makes sense because quincy jones is so much younger than ray charles he's younger than ray charles yeah but they had a relationship and a friendship they did they did you know as, as quincy jones kind of ascended true so true um, would you recommend that people watch Ray Vincent? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You, you, you absolutely should watch Ray. I'm, I'm not going to say off the top of my head that this is my favorite musical biopic, but it is it is very much up there. In real time, it's difficult for me to think of one that I like more right now. Yeah. I would recommend that people see this movie as well. I definitely would. I would recommend people to, if you haven't watched Raid, it, it's worth watching again. It's a very stylish um, film that ages gracefully. You know, you know, mm-hmm. we've watched some films that don't age as, that well. This film ages very gracefully, and you, we touched on it. There's a, a lot of great performances in here. Man, how many times are we going to show some love for Bokeem Woodbine? Man, that man just <laughs> does not disappoint. He, Bokeem Woodbine is the best. Like he really is this great actor. You get him in the pocket. True. True. Yeah. Yeah, man. Him and and the late great um, Charles Bird. Yeah. Yeah, Thomas Jefferson. Thomas, Thomas Bird. Jefferson Bird. Sorry. Yeah, Thomas. Right. Jefferson Bird. Yeah. Right. And 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 again, this film is so like I looked. It, it was forty minutes before Ray Charles left left that band. Mm-hmm. You had almost a half hour in that part of his life. Right. Um, real quick, uh, action figure expert, uh, thanks for tuning in, says that he likes Straight Out of Compton a bit better than Ray. <laughs> uh oh. Well, there you go. Well, hey. Lynn might want to have a talk with you after the show. Nope. Nope. <laughs> I got nothing to say. That's your choice. Your choice. Hey, some people prefer fiction. That's all I can say. <laughs> All right, before we tell you what we're going to be watching next week as part of African-American Music Appreciation Month, ladies and gentlemen, I want to invite you to send all of your thoughts and concerns. Email us at themishomission at gmail.com. That's M-I-C-H-E-A-U-X-M-I-S-S-I-O-N at gmail.com and like and follow the Michelle Mission on all the social media Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Subscribe to the uh, Michelle Mission on YouTube at Michelle Mission. 
Two Men, One Podcast, every black film ever made. Go to MichelleMission.com. Hit swag and check out all the cool products we have coming your way by way of our good friends at T Public. And the Michelle Mission is a proud member of the Podglomerate curated podcast for your earbuds. Go to thepodglomerate.com. They make podcasts work. All right. Next week, Vincent, uh, I think it's my turn, isn't it? It is indeed your turn, sir. I've picked a film that I have always wanted to see. Never saw it. Never took the opportunity to see this film. Um, But I'm taking the opportunity now, and I am looking forward to it. It is from the year 2006, and it stars Andre 3000, big boy. Mm -hmm. You know them Mm -hmm. better as Outkast. It's got mm-hmm. hip hop, it's got funk, it's got soul, and it's got a juke joint, and they call it Out of Wild. It's got Keith David. There you go. And it's got uh, Paula J. Parker as well in this film as yes. well. Um, Terrence Howard again. Ter- That's two Terrence Howards in a row. Oh, wow. Mm. With the third one, I think we get free tacos. <laughs> We'll see if we can't make that happen. But we got to get the second one in first. And that'll be Idlewild next week here on the Michelle Mission, streaming live on StreamYard into your Facebook and YouTube near you. Until then, he's Vincent. I'm Len. And in parting, we say, we'll see you when it's time to meet again. Mm-hmm.